This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Absolutely delighted to be joined on Football CFB by uh, Jonas Yever, who is a, a Norwegian journalist. He's been published by The Guardian, 442, numerous other platforms, as well as appearing on television in numerous countries. He loves La Liga, covers La Liga, and he is someone who has many opinions in football that I cannot wait to share with you on the show. First of all, Jonas, how are you? I'm pretty good. Thank you for having me on. Thing I want to, to ask you about is the Norwegian national team. As you can tell with my accent, I'm from Scotland. We fully <laughs> yeah. expected to be playing you in the in the, the playoff final. Obviously, we, when we heard when we got through, we were ex- fully expecting to, to to for you to, to beat Serbia, but it didn't turn out that way. What's the reaction been like in Norway to that result? Uh, in a way, you were expecting to play us, but the majority of us were not expecting to play you because. Um, <laughs> Uh, first and foremost, not because we thought Israel were so much better than, than Scotland, but more so because we're used to not playing tournaments now. We've not been uh, playing a single tournament since Euro 2000. So for us to make a tournament is kind of um, the promised land. A lot of people are talking about us being uh, perennial dark horses and so forth for several of the tournaments coming up. But uh, we, we just want to make one and we don't have the culture of qualifying, meaning that uh, us not getting past Serbia in one way is extremely disappointing because we felt that this was perhaps the biggest opportunity we've had in decades. Um, but at the same time, we were not expecting to qualify because we're used to not qualifying. So it's sort of a, a catch-22 here. Dare, dare if you do, dare if you don't. So, um, or damned if you do, or damned if you don't, rather. Um, so we, we, we kinda, we, we're kind of not surprised, but at the same time, we're obviously extremely disappointed because if you look at our team now uh, and the players we have, uh, we should be qualifying. You, you mentioned the team that you've got and, and the obvious player that is mentioned every time is, is Erling Haaland. He's a very exciting player. He's he, he progressed very well when he was in Austrian football and then since he's went to Dortmund, he's continued that. What was your reaction when you started to see him, especially at Molde? Did you think that he had the potential to to go incredibly far in the game? Or has his progress and the speed of his progress surprised even yourself? I, I love telling this story because I remember uh, when I, I believe it was 16 or 17. And I covered a game here in uh, here in Oslo. Uh, and he was playing against a team called Volrenga, which is the capital side. He was playing for Molde. And at the time, uh, Vorenga had a, a big Brazilian or Uruguay Brazilian uh, defender called Felipe Carvalho. And I mean, he was a, he was a beast of a player, a center back. And I remember that that Holland at, at 16, 17 was subbed on and he completely dominated him, just pushed him around like he was nothing and, and toyed with him uh, for the majority of the time he was on the pitch. And, and I remember standing in a mixed, mixed zone, in the, in the interview zone there, and, and Holland was was kind of lumbering in. And it, this is a 16, 17-year-old kid. He was towering over me. And I was wondering, well, what is this man-child standing next to me? Uh, and then seeing his progression from there, it was, um, 
I mean, we, we expected that there could be something interesting here, but, uh, I mean, he kicked on and he scored, I mean, four goals against Bidalnu at the time at the best defense in Norway, and, and he completely decimated teams. So, um, I kind of expected, because he kind of had a a pause in his development when he first got to to uh, to Austria, and then he obviously kicked on there as well. Um, but seeing what we see now is, it, it, I mean, we're, we're, we're not used to seeing uh, world-class players developing from Norway. So I, I can't say that I, I expected it to be as good as, as it has been, but, uh, but long may it continue. Long may it continue indeed. And, and I don't know if you've, you've came across the quotes. Paul Scholes was, was speaking in the last few days about players mm-hmm. Manchester United should have signed. And he mentioned Haaland. And that wasn't really the, the interesting part of the quote. The interesting part from Scholes was that he predicts if Haaland continues to develop the way he is, he backs him to potentially reach the levels of Ronaldo and Messi in the future and be the real one of one of the real stars of the game for the for the next generation. Do you think he can achieve those heights that Paul Scholes is predicting? <laughs> it's a big question. Um, uh, it's so difficult to say, but I mean the numbers don't lie, and and he keeps putting them up there, and he keeps doing uh, or choosing the right club seemingly as well. He keeps choosing clubs that. Uh, play an attacking way. He, he keeps choosing clubs that, that allows him time. Um, and he takes the opportunities that, he, that he's given. And, I mean, he's born in the year 2000. So, um, he's so young and, and obviously delivering at this level. I mean, he just scored his first international hat-trick uh, for Norway against Romania in the Nations League. And I believe he's prior to Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi in doing so. Um, so, I mean, it's so... it's kind of bizarre to sit here in Norway and we're talking about one of my countrymen potentially being the next guy in the line of Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. I mean, I think the destined one is, is 100% killing Mbappe. But but if uh, if uh, Holland gets anywhere near that, then I mean, wow. Uh, we, we're, in for, uh, we're in for some great years. I mean, we've seen Sweden have Zlatan for all those years. And if we're supposed to have the next one with Holland, then... Um, and I mean, there's no one in Norway that does not welcome that. Another player that I, I want to ask you about um, is Martin Odegaard, another player who was hyped from a, re- a really young age, went to Real Madrid. And and I think it's safe to say that all that hype and weight of expectation initially was probably hard to deal with for, for Odegaard, although he had a couple of loan spells, notably Sociedad, which really brought his game on. How do you feel about him now? Because he's now obviously improving year on year and, he, and he's obviously maturing in age as well is he someone who's ready to come of age and establish himself at Real Madrid now? Uh, you'd hope so uh, and saying that he kind of was disappointed in his own development I, I, I don't think that's the case I think it's more so with him that it's and the same thing goes for Horan as well and, and Christopher Ayer who was at Celtic and, and Sam Debarige who was at Sheffield United I mean they're so level-headed and, and they have such a, a good support system around them that they know that their development doesn't have to come as fast as the whole world wants them to. I mean, if you remember Martin Odegaard was supposedly a fluff when he was 18. I mean, it's, it's not supposed to be that way. I mean, he was signed by Real Madrid when he was 16 and people were talking about him as a major flop because he wasn't playing regularly regular for Real Madrid at 18. So, I mean, he's doing it now at his age. Um, he's turning 22 in December, I believe. Um, if, he's, if he plays regular football for Real Madrid at, at 22, 23, I mean, 
uh, that would be amazing and something that, again, has never happened in, in Norwegian football history. And whether or not he's, he's able to, well, it kind of depends a little bit as well uh, in terms of how much time he's given. And also, uh, he has a knee injury that, that seemingly keeps bothering him a little bit. So he needs to get rid of that, I suppose. Um, but I, I, can, I, I back him to, to be able to do so because I know that he has his head on his shoulders and he doesn't you know, think more of himself than, than needs be. And, and if Real Madrid, who are you know, notoriously known for not having that much of patience, shows a little bit of patience with him, I think they'll be able to reap the reward. You mentioned Christopher Iyer there, and, and he's, of course, playing in Scotland with Celtic. What's the reaction been like in Norway to his development? Um, he was highly rated, of course, um, as, a, as a youngster coming through. Ronnie Dyla was, was desperate to ensure that he arrived at Celtic. Mm-hmm. He's a player who's been linked with AC Milan and has been linked with clubs in England, and, and there's lots of talk about him making a, a natural next step, if it were. Do you think he's ready to make the step up and play, whether it's in England or another major European league now? I would think so. Uh, I mean, I, I'm going to assume that you watch more Celtic than I do, but whenever I see him play, I think that he has something unique about him in terms of being a ball carrier and, and being a very um, modern defender in a way. And in Norway, we've spoken about him for ages as being perhaps a future national team captain due to his leadership abilities. Um so obviously for him to be able to do that, you'd, you'd assume, considering that this is a national team that now has players playing for Real Madrid, uh, Borussia Dortmund, RB Leipzig, AC Milan, uh, it would be, would be natural for him to perhaps take that next step and go to a club um, where he could be you know, an even greater focal point, both his, his club side to, to a greater league, uh, with all due respect to Scotland, and, and also uh, be able to sort of um, flex his muscles alongside a generation of Norwegian players that are now seemingly uh, becoming the new wine in, in European uh, top division football. Another player I want to, to ask you about from the Norwegian national team is a player who is familiar to people who follow the English Premier League, but he didn't really succeed in the Premier League. But personally, I think that's because he wasn't given ample opportunity at times. And and that man is Alexander Sorloth. He, he went on loan to Turkey. He was very prolific over there and yeah. has now earned a move to RB Leipzig. Now, you get a lot of people in England who say, oh, he didn't really perform at Palace, so he must not be a good player. Well, he's <laughs> proven himself in Turkey and he's someone who's earned a move to Leipzig, who, as you know and I know, are one of the most exciting teams in the Champions League. So do you mm. think he's got what it takes now to, he's turning 25 in December, to really establish himself in Germany and show Premier League fans what he's made of? The king of the north. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that Sir Jota has been given a, a real rough ride in England. And I think that he, uh, perhaps more so than the two others we mentioned, perhaps the three others we mentioned, uh, he is so night and day, all depending on how his confidence is. And I think his confidence was shut in, um, in England. And also, I mean, if I rem- remember correctly, he went from, from Denmark to, to England, uh, from Mikulan to... Um, to Crystal Palace, and I think that perhaps that was a, too big of a step up for him at that time. Um, but he was, he was given, again, he was given confidence and given the love and affection in, in Turkey that it perhaps lacked in England. Um, obviously, it's more hustle and bustle perhaps in the, in the Premier League in terms of having to deliver uh, right off the bat, and, and that didn't really uh, sit too well with him at that time. Um, but again, I mean, if you, you see what he did in Turkey, and that is a, a, a pretty competitive league. I mean, he was incredibly good for, for a Trabzon sports side that uh, I believe finished second or third in the league and I believe won the Turkish Cup. Um, 
which just is a sentiment to to how how great he is of a striker when when he's uh, given that confidence and and yeah obviously when when uh, I know that that Arby Leipzig and, and um, Julian Nagelsmann uh, they stretched far to to sign him this uh, this summer or this this window rather uh, meaning that they've seen something really really special in him and I mean when he's played for the national team now these past uh, couple of games I mean he's he's looked fantastic as well uh, alongside adding Brad Holland so. So yeah, I mean, um, I think I think that, uh, and I hope for his sake that we're finally going to see uh, some of the, I suppose, uh, royal skills that he seemingly has, considering his his nickname has become pretty much folklore both in Turkey and Norway now. <laughs> Absolutely, with a nickname like that, you, you certainly have to succeed and score goals, and and fingers crossed for him he can continue that form in Germany that he showed um, week in week out in, in Turkey and. To talk about a countryman, uh, a fellow countryman of yours, who's a manager, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, he's under pressure at Manchester United at the moment. But when you consider what he walked into at United and the fact that they finished third last season, for me, he should have been backed in the summer. And I think, as I'm sure we'll come to, that that's not necessarily been the way he'd hoped. What was the reaction when Ole got the job? And, and how closely <laughs> do, do those in Norway follow his progress, considering how high profile a role he's in? I mean, the the reaction when he was hired as as um, I suppose the caretaker manager was one of shock and awe because he had just finished the season uh, with Molde and uh, and I, I mean you kind of expected him to sort of rally Molde again and try and win the league in Norway because they hadn't won the league the year previously I believe it was Rosenborg were reigning champions so this thing was and and, he, and he'd sort of gone already to Cardiff once and it didn't quite work out for him and. And he was sort of content with being in Molde, and it all seemed like he was trying to create sort of a dynasty there again. So when that happened, it was obviously one of shock and awe because it was just, wow, what are they thinking here? Um, and then he obviously had some great results. He had a bit of a slump, and then that night in Paris sort of cemented that he'd be the next Manchester United manager. And, and obviously the first couple of months, and especially the first few days, I mean, everything was about Solskjaer all the time, all the time. In every single newspaper, every single TV show, uh, it was all about him. Uh, new TV records were set whenever Man United played a game. I mean, people that did not care about football were watching the games because it was it was him. Um, and that, I mean, Norway is a football crazy country, and the Premier League, alongside the Norwegian top division, is obviously the two biggest leagues in this country. And you can sort of imagine that just being on speed as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer became Man United manager. Um, so, so I mean. The interest in him and the interest in Manchester United have just, you know, uh, skyrocketed even more so than it did previously uh, with him being back. And um, and I mean, I, I, even though he's a countryman of ours, we're pretty realistic in that he's not he's not been backed in it, and 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 also that his, his results are not good enough for a side like Manchester United. So it's not like we're going to be creating excuses for him, um, even though he is one of ours. And that's that's a fair point, and and as you say, a country like Norway, people that as you say are level headed, and, and they they call it as they see it, which which is a trait that has to be admired. And in regards to to Solskjaer, there's detractors of him, um, notably on on some radio stations over here in the UK that say if he wasn't a Manchester United legend with his CV, he would never have he would have never have become Manchester United manager. And that they question his coaching credentials, and and the, the question that's asked all the time in the UK at the moment is, 
is he the best possible manager Manchester United could hire? Based on what you have, have, have assessed of him when he was working in Norwegian football, um, tactically, would you consider Solskjaer to be a tactically astute manager? I'd say yes. Uh, but then again, I, it's difficult to disagree with the point that I don't think he'd necessarily be get, we would be getting that job if he hadn't had the history that he has with Manchester United. I don't think that Man United would go to Norway and pick out the Molde manager had he not had uh, a previous history at Manchester United. I think it would be asinine to say anything else. Um, but yeah, in terms of being tactically astute, yeah, he's, he's, he's played several different formations. Um, he started off with the 4-4-2 in his first tenure here in Norway, and then he kind of evolved over to the 4-2-3-1, which you've seen more and more now at Manchester United. And, and he even tinkered with the 3-5-2 in, in his 2017 season, I believe it was. So he, he likes to test out new systems. He likes to play an attacking style of football, uh, often also on the counter, as you, as you saw early days at Manchester United. But, but as his teams grew more uh, dominant in Norway, obviously he, he uh, mastered that as well in terms of trying to find teams that could play against low presses and all that sort of stuff. Um, but whether or not he has the, the, the abilities or if he is a, a world-class manager, look, it's, it's difficult to say, but... Uh, I think at the time he was hired, he wasn't necessarily the, the, the hero that Manchester United fans wanted, but he was the hero they needed. Um, and you have to wonder now if the honeymoon period is a little bit up for both him and, and the rest of the Manchester United side. But then again, you'd think it's kind of strange not backing the manager if you obviously have high hopes for him, which is the message that seemingly has come out of Manchester United all this time. Well, well, the thing I have to say to that, and I agree with you, is that he finished third last season, and, and you, you realistically look where Manchester United were in January before Bruno Fernandes came in. They were a, a fair way behind Leicester and Chelsea, yeah. and he managed to catch both of those teams and finish third. He was never going to catch Man City and Liverpool, realistically, from where they were in January. So for me, and as, as you, I'm sure you'll echo, if you're a club that's serious about challenging for the league, whether you're Manchester United or Mould or Celtic or Rangers or whoever you are, mm. you back your manager and you invest if you finish third to try and catch second and then first. Whereas leaving their business to the deadline day um, <laughs> of the window just to me seemed like they weren't backing him in the way that he had hoped. And for me, I worry about him this season in the sense that it's been a... An, it's been a topsy-turvy start for him at United so far this season. Players have come in on deadline day in a rushed manner, and you just possibly wonder, as you've said, has that honeymoon period ended, and will this season be a rocky one in general for him and the club? Uh, it's a difficult one, uh, but I, I do think so. Is Because if you look at that squad now and you look at the players he's brought in, are they really that much improved? I mean... I mean, Cavani coming in obviously will, will you know solve an issue in January when Igalo goes back to China, and obviously I think Cavani is a better striker than than Igalo. But then again, you you have uh, Donny Van de Beek who has not even started a Premier League match yet, I, I believe, which is strange in itself. Uh, if you buy him in for the amount of money they paid for him, obviously you'd start him if you see him as an improvement to the squad. And then you have uh, Pedistri who's coming from Uruguay who's never played. Uh, in Europe, um, but the one the one that perhaps is going to perhaps be the biggest improvement straight off the bat is um, is Alex Telles, who, who comes from Porto, who I think was highly sought after by other teams as well, and, and was a player that I think um, who I think obviously will, will improve Manchester United because I, even though I think Luke Shaw has been given a, 
a pretty rough ride. I think um, I think Telus is an obvious uh, improvement in terms of uh, having a, a bigger physical presence uh, in the left back area and someone who's a little bit more dynamic. Um, so so I mean, but leaving leaving your business to the last last days or last day rather is is uh, I think a testament to poor planning, especially given how how long this window has been and and. Also, how obvious it has been that Manchester United really, really wanted to uh, improve that, that right wing position. And I mean, the right winger that's going to come in and improve them now is obviously an 18-year-old from Uruguay and, and uh, an Ivorian who might arrive, or was going to arrive, I believe, in January, this um, Ahmad Traore uh, or Ahmad Diallo. I'm not quite sure if it's Traore or Diallo, to be honest with you. I've never seen him play. Um, who arrives from Atalanta, and and those are supposed to be the players to carry your team. Not sold on that transfer activity, to be quite honest with you. It's it's definitely not the way you you would run your football club if you're serious about challenging for a league title anytime soon. And and I think that's something that that will frustrate Ollie deep down. But we wish him all the best, and hopefully he can have a good season. In terms of Norwegian coaches. Solskjaer obviously is in the most high-profile job of all Norwegian coaches. He's at Manchester United. You've got Ronnie Dyla, who's out in, in, in at New York City, previously of Celtic. Who are the other Norwegian coaches that you think can make an impact in the next few years? Uh, I'm always going to back to Solbakken, who managed the Wolves. He was just now, I believe, fired from FC Copenhagen. And that's been a huge, huge... Um, I suppose there's a controversy over in Denmark uh, because he's done so much for that team and, and sort of built them up uh, and kind of created that dynasty that FC Copenhagen has had for, for I suppose, the last decade or so. Um, there's a lot of people that think he might become the new ne- the next uh, national team manager for Norway if they decide to let Lars Lagerbeck go. Uh, but he'd be one I'd definitely have a look out for. I mean, he, he had a rough time at at, at Wolves and, and uh, FC Köln in, in Germany. Uh, but I like him a lot, and I think he's learned a lot from those experiences. And then, um, I mean, Seattle Knutsen, who's currently managing uh, Bode Glimt, who played uh, Milan in, in uh, the Europa League. Obviously, he's a guy that is breaking every sort of record there is now in, in, uh, in Norway. I mean, Bode Glimt has been something completely unique in terms of Norwegian football and and the attacking play that they have is just I mean I, I cannot tell you if I've seen that in Norway before I believe I have to go all the way back to the 90s when the Rosenborg and Nilsson and Eggen were doing that um, and for those who don't remember that I mean in the 90s we sort of had a a bit of a uh, dark horse in every sense of the word um, with the with Rosenborg who, who beat Real Madrid who beat AC Milan who beat Borussia Dortmund um, with their team and, and their manager, who was Nilsson Eggen, who was still, uh, you know, uh, I suppose, how do you explain it? He, he, he's looked upon as the, as the best club manager in, in Norwegian football history, uh, without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, and Sietle Knutsen is doing a little bit of the same. They're, they're already, you know, runaway title winners. I mean, they haven't lost a game. Uh, the only team that's beaten them in the year 2020 is AC Milan. Uh, and that should should be a testament to how well they're doing. And I mean, they obviously just sold Jens Petahauge to Milan as well because they were so impressed by him in that game at the San Siro that they decided to buy him. Um, so obviously, obviously, the, I, I'd be on lookout for Solbakken and uh, and Sietle Knutsen. Those would be perhaps the two off the top of my head. 
As well as loving Norwegian football and loving Premier League football, you've clearly got a passion for La Liga. You've got the, the, Liga, the La Liga Loca podcast, which where you and, and a few others talk about La Liga and the big talking points in that league. What sparked your love of La Liga and who, which team do you follow closely? Uh, it all started uh, with, with John Carew when he was sold from Middlesbrough Boy to Valencia. Um, I remember that very vaguely, but it was, more, it was more so that, all right, he goes to Valencia and we didn't know that much about him, at least me being as young as I was. I mean, I was seven, eight years old when that happened. Um, and then we have, we, we like had the Champions League on, on TV for ages here in Norway. We still have it, for, you know, on free television, at least the big games. Um, and when Valencia were playing, it was sort of the allure of the white kits and and Mestalla and, and John Carew being there. And it was Gaiska Mendieta with his blonde hair flowing all the way and Kili Gonzalez and Albelda. And, you know, I can go, go on and on and on with names, you know, Roberto Ayala and so forth and so forth. Um, and it was, just, it was just magic for me at the time because what I'd seen in Norway was, was uh, English football and, and Norwegian football. And this was something a little bit more exotic. It was a language that I didn't understand at the time. And, players' names that sounded a bit cooler and, and, and so forth and so on. So I took, I took a great interest uh, first in Valencia and, and what they were doing in the Champions League. And, and you might remember they played uh, two consecutive Champions League finals. They lost both of them, first to Real Madrid and then to Bayern Munich the, the year after when John Carew actually even scored in the penalty shootout against uh, Bayern Munich. Um, and from there on out, it's sort of been Valencia for me uh, in terms of what the team I follow the most. But it's difficult to be... To be a fan, I got to say, as a journalist and as someone who covers the league, it's extremely difficult to sort of label yourself as a fan, even though in these days, looking at Valencia, I do feel a little bit more emotional about how the club is being treated. And in terms of La Liga, you mentioned the fact that it's much more than just following one team. You cover the full league in, in your role as a journalist. One of the teams that's been tipped to really challenge this season is is, is dark horses, if you want to call them that, mm -hmm. is Sevilla. Now, mm -hmm. they've been very impressive in, in European football for many years. Do you think they've got what it takes to challenge Real Madrid and Barcelona over the course of a season? Depends on the consistency. But they've been able to keep several of their big stars, and I'm very surprised that they've seemingly almost kept every single one of them. The only one that's left the team is, is Ever Banega, who went to, um, to Saudi Arabia, and they replaced him with Ivan Rakitic, even though... Uh, it's a little bit of different, difficult or different uh, styles of players. They do some of the same in terms of the role that they'll have. But I mean, they kept Diego Carlos, they kept Julius Conde, they kept uh, Lucas Ocampos. Uh, the only thing that, they, that they're perhaps lacking is, um, is a 20, 25 goals uh, a season striker. I mean, they have Luke de Jong, who's become a scorer of important goals. And then they have Yusuf and Nasiri, who I'm not quite sold on as a striker, unfortunately. Um, but I think that if they can keep up the consistency, they definitely have something special about them. And I, and I do think that uh, Julian Lopetegui, their manager, is really out to prove something, even though he won the Europa League. you got to remember, he was fired as the Spain manager on the eve of the World Cup in 2018 because it was revealed that he was going to take over Real Madrid after that tournament. And then everything went, you know... Uh, horribly wrong at Real Madrid the, the following season and he was fired and, and then replaced first by Santiago Solari and then by Zinedine Zidane. Uh, so I think that he's out to prove something and, and I mean Sevilla in my eyes and the way they're playing right now is the best team in Spain. So, so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they were up there and, and challenged 
But then again, you, you don't sort of expect it because the consistency usually comes from either Real Madrid or Barcelona. And I think it'd be Real Madrid this season. And in terms of the, the title race, you've mentioned the fact that you think it will be Real Madrid. Last question I've got for you, just based on covering the league. How relieved were you to see Lionel Messi stay in the league, considering <laughs> what he's achieved over the years? Uh, obviously, because it's sort of my profession to cover the league. Obviously, it's uh, it helps me a lot to have the best player ever playing in, in that league. Um, but no, I mean, Lionel Messi and, and the drama that, that has surrounded him this, this offseason has been quite horrible to watch, to be quite honest with you. And I think it kind of has, has left his legacy a little bit shaken up. Um, I think for the league's sake and for Barcelona's sake, it was absolutely detrimental if they'd lost him. Um, but I think uh, in retaining him, obviously, the league gets another scenario that people follow from week to week. I mean, I, I've never seen so many people sort of try to uh, decipher body language and, and uh, you know, uh, I suppose smiles and, and, and grins and so forth as they do for 90 minutes whenever Lionel Messi plays now, which is in itself a little bit tragicomic. Um, but, um, but no, for the league's sake and, and for Spanish football's sake, I think it was extremely important for, for Messi to, to remain. Then again, I wonder about how motivated he is and I wonder what he'll feel if results uh, start becoming more sour for, for Barcelona. And, and I think it'll be a difficult season for them if Lionel Messi decides that he's, you know, going to just stick out those last couple of months before he's, he's off next summer, which is looking more and more likely, unfortunately. I have to say, Jonas, it's been an absolute joy chatting to you this evening. Your knowledge of Norwegian football, Spanish football, the Premier League as well shines through. Please check out um, Jonas's work um, he works very hard, of course, to, to put everything into his coverage. And just remind us before you go how you, we can follow you on social media. You can follow me at Che Yavara, which is C-H-E-G-I-A-E-V-A-R-A. -E -E I'm not quite sure if I spelled that correctly, but I hope so. Uh, anyways, again, if you type in my name, Jonas, and then G-I in, in, uh, in the Twitter search, you'll probably find me in some sort of weird Norwegian letter to follow the I there. <laughs> Brilliant. It's been a pleasure and I'd love to get you on again in the future. I wish you every success and keep up the great work. Likewise, I'd love to be on again. Thank you so much. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave Shells will all be open They'll be filled with song They'll be filled with song